The Tom Woods Show, episode 1532. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, as Christmas approaches, make sure you are getting the best prices on all those gifts. And you can do so with Honey, a free browser extension that automatically finds the best promo codes wherever you shop online. It's free to use and installs in just two clicks. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com woods. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. I'm talking today to a very, very interesting person indeed, and that's Christopher Dreisbach who is CEO of Blueprints for Addiction Recovery. You can check it out at blueprintsrecovery.com. And what he's been doing, first of all, he himself is a former heroin addict. And what he's been doing, both in terms of recovery work, but particularly with the drug war itself, is very, very interesting. He really, where he lives in Pennsylvania... In tandem with law enforcement, he has more or less helped little by little to defang the drug war, to help people get the assistance they need and to avoid incarceration. It is a tremendous story. I found out about it through Michael Heiss, our friend who runs the Libertarian Party's Mises Caucus, and it's just tremendous. So I wanted to to talk to him. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. All right. I think with a topic like this, I'd like to start, if you don't feel uncomfortable telling it, with your own personal story that brought you here. Absolutely. So I uh, became addicted to heroin when I was about 17, 18 years old. And I got my first felony uh, burglary when I was 18. Uh, It started me on this path in the criminal justice system that spanned three different jail terms, several hundred days in jail. Uh, several trips to treatment, pretty ineffective treatment, unfortunately. And really, at any given point during that time, if there was somebody who understood the brain science of addiction and what a true substance use disorder was, uh, they could have probably gotten me into the appropriate level of treatment, skip that several hundred days in jail, skip that $17,000 in court costs and fines, and really possibly even prevented me from having a record for the rest of my life that I still carry with me today. Uh, so that's kind of what, you know, my personal motivation in this program is. You know, I've heard it said when it comes to recovery programs that if you just look at them all together and just you, you don't you don't differentiate them, this program versus that one, but just recovery in general, the the statistics seem to be pretty dreary in terms of people who make uh, permanent changes and are permanently able to free themselves from whatever had enslaved them. Is that, am I basically right about that? And and if so, is there something that works as opposed to something that just doesn't work? Or is it different for every person? So every case is extremely individualized, but what medical science and what uh, the current data suggests is that somebody who follows a continuum of care and treatment, which starts at detox and could end up to two years later with a general outpatient, Uh, The success rates are in the 70 to 90 percent for somebody who follows an entire continuum of care. Now, what the media and society in general think of as rehab is that 28 day vacation and then you come back and everything's okay. Uh, That's where you have those abysmal three to five percent success rate ratio. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I know I've heard numbers like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's true, but only a half truth. Okay. Okay. Well, can you tell us something about your own success? What kind of 
were you in some kind of a program or treatment and what was it like and what were your ups and downs? Yeah. So the last treatment that I went into was after my last jail term. I had a very progressive judge in 2007 and he wanted to send me to treatment again for the third time. And finally, uh, the roulette wheel of the county system finally spun me into a treatment center that actually provided me with some therapy to retrain my brain. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about the brain science of addiction. I hear you're a Harvard guy, so you might know a little bit. But basically what happens in addiction on a super base level is that over the course of time, uh, drugs of abuse will act directly on your limbic system. And the limbic system, which is the animal brain or lizard brain, becomes operative and dominant over the cerebral cortex which is the reality section of your brain. So essentially, when you're in the throes of addiction, your cerebral cortex is no longer the operative main functioning part of your brain. And what happened was I landed in a treatment center that began some therapy for me to allow my cerebral cortex to become the operative thing again so that I could see the world for what it was and allowed me to move forward rationally, logically, and intelligently. Wow. Well, now, after that time, now, how old were you when this was all completed? So when I got sober, I was actually 20 years old. I think I might have just turned 21 uh, in treatment. Is this the kind of thing where if you were, let's say, to be moving with the wrong crowd, would you find yourself tempted to go back? Is it at least conceivable that you could be tempted? No, no, not at this point. I mean, life has such great purpose for me and is so much better than what drugs offered me back in the day. Uh, there's not even a remote possibility that I would even entertain the idea of going back. Uh, thankfully, once you follow that continuum of care, you enter into a state of state of reasonableness almost <laughs> where you can see things for what they are. And it, it doesn't uh, have to be that societal thought that you're like fighting and struggling every day for the rest of your life. If you follow the course of treatment the right way and you do the things that are required of you, you don't have to struggle for the rest of your life. And thankfully, I don't have to struggle so I can focus on helping others now. Yeah, so so you're you're let's say just about 21 or 21 when you're more or less through the ordeal. Did you know at that time instantly that this was now the purpose of your life? No, no, it took a little while. I started out waiting tables at a diner. I worked overnight waiting tables and you know, I was pretty active in recovery programs like Alcoholics Anonymous and so on and so forth. Uh, and I knew I loved helping people, but I really, I was a waiter by trade. And eventually I got an opportunity to take a huge pay cut and go back and work at that treatment center. And it started this whole train of circumstances in motion where I was able to actually end up starting the Pioneer Sober Living Community in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania in 2010. At that point, I was able to help hundreds of people at a time not be homeless, which was probably the coolest thing ever. I developed a a love for real estate, a love for business, and a whole lot of the things. So it, over a course of, of a couple of years, I, I really found purpose. Now, tell me about uh, Blueprints for Addiction Recovery. First of all, what your role is, and secondly, what makes this particular program, if not unique, then let's say effective? Sure. So Blueprints for Addiction Recovery is actually a continuing care provider in Pennsylvania. So we offer levels of care from residential treatment, which is that 28-day model, all the way down to the traditional outpatient that could last for up to two years. The program in specific that I think we want to talk about is the Second Chance Program, where we partner up with law enforcement and allow people to get into treatment immediately instead of fall into the criminal justice system. So two distinct entities, 
but definitely a whole lot of experience from the blueprint side of things uh, falls into our work in Second Chance and helping the police realize that addiction is, in fact, not a crime. Yeah. Okay. So this really, this is really what I'd like to focus in on because you're in Pennsylvania. Yes. And right now, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but my understanding is that Pennsylvania has not been able to pass legislation even involving the uh, legalization or decriminalization of marijuana. Am I right about that? You are correct. Yes, it is still illegal. Okay. So even that, even something as frankly trivial as marijuana. And yet in that environment, my understanding of what you've been able to do is basically to de facto, even if not de jure, de facto ratchet down the drug war on a small scale. Is that a good way of looking at it? Yeah. Yeah. In one way. I mean, it's a multifaceted program. So many of the police officers that we work with so far are real forward thinking guys that really understand that by locking people who have substance use disorder up, it doesn't help them. It doesn't stop them uh, from recidivism. It doesn't really do anything except for hamper and burden them. And it's really contrary to the way that the media and the world portrays police. But all the guys that I work with down here are really on board with helping their communities. And they really just love being able to see somebody succeed. So essentially, really their love of helping people, my love of helping people, and the drug war in this area, essentially. All right. So I'd like to get, if you wouldn't mind, obviously, you know, we'll keep this anonymous, but can you describe for us maybe a few examples of real life examples of people, what their circumstances were and how their good fortune of, you know, having had this befall them in the uh, area where you are, allowed them to have a good, uh, good outcome. Yeah, I have some some awesome stories. So the first thing that we do when we onboard a new police department is we give them a one-hour free training uh, about the brain science of addiction so they understand what the problem is. And then we talk about the continuum of care and how to get somebody from addicted to better. And then we talk a little bit about procedures and policies and all the fun stuff. So the first day we did our first training with a department named called Northwest Regional uh, Police Department in Lancaster County. A sergeant over there, Sergeant George, great guy. He encountered a, a domestic that night. It was probably 11 o'clock midnight. And during the domestic, the wife was drunk and she ran away and she passed out behind a dumpster in little Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, another great police department we work with. Uh, so what happened was this lady woke up and I think she was a little upset and she maybe threw a punch at Sergeant George, something you know like that. And Sergeant George just received the training and he had the forethought to say, oh, man, this lady needs help. Let's call. So he called my cell phone directly because we didn't even have a program line set up yet. We were so new. Uh, And that lady got into treatment that night because we send a certified recovery specialist out on scene to make sure that the person's assessed and can get into the right level of care. Uh, That lady turned out to be a nurse. So if Sergeant George did the traditional thing and filed those charges, that lady would have lost her nursing license. She would have had no job. Her family life would have probably been more of a nightmare. Uh, right now, that lady is approaching one year sober and doing extremely well. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. G- give us more. Give us more. We need, because a lot of times, sure. I hate to say on my program, because I'm reporting on what's really going on in the world, it's a lot of doom and gloom and I don't yeah. want to be that way. <laughs> yeah. So another one, uh, the or Lancaster County DUI task force actually also invites us to attend all the DUI checkpoints, which is kind of a crazy thing. And during one of the checkpoints, I actually attend them all personally. 
during one of the checkpoints, there was a passenger of a DUI that got pulled out of the checkpoint and he had some meth in his pocket and he was kind of well known to the local officers. And the one canine officer said, hey, you know, we have this guy here. It's your real lucky day. I don't have to charge you for this stuff. Uh, do you want to get into treatment? He agreed to go to treatment. Uh, he went right in and that guy is approaching eight months over and he has got a good job working at a, a local you know, warehouse. I ran into him last month and he is just overwhelmingly grateful to not have that charge on his record. And he's so thankful for the opportunity that the police gave him uh, to not have to deal with all that stuff. And I have, I have stories for days if you want to keep going, Tom. Well, I, I'd let, you know, and it's interesting to hear you talk this way because frankly, I think the way a lot of us look at the police and the drug war is not as favorable Yes. as, uh, you know, they appear in the stories you're telling me. So, yeah, I'd, sure, I'd love to hear more. I, I'd love to get more nuance on how the world works, frankly. Yeah, as a, as a felon myself, I, I long suffered the delusion that the police were my enemy. And this program has really, and the time I've spent with officers riding along, uh, just getting to know them, getting involved, I can tell you that it's, it's not real. Uh, a lot of police, I'd say a vast majority of them got into it to help people. And that's just been my experience. But uh, another case, a young lady, she had gotten some warrants for retail theft and the Elizabethtown Borough Police Department here in Pennsylvania, the chief of which is the co-founder of this program with me. They had to pull her in and, and go through with the warrants because they can't throw warrants away. People have to answer for crimes against others. So this girl went into jail until the judge released her. She disappeared for about two days after the judge released her instead of calling back into the program and getting things started. Uh, we ran into her a couple of days later, and she agreed to go into treatment because her life was an absolute nightmare. And that girl, too, is now approaching six or seven months over, and she is overwhelmingly grateful. She's done media interviews, uh, local news, everything like that. She's just so over the moon. Her family is so over the moon. They don't have to worry about her anymore. They don't have to worry about where she is, if she's alive or dead. Just the, the impacts on a local level are so far-reaching when police stand as a stakeholder in community health instead of the vicious overlord, if that makes sense. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let me, uh, I have other things I want to ask you about, but before we do that, quick break. Christmas is coming, and if you're like me, you're going to be sitting in front of your computer looking for gifts for friends and loved ones, and that's a lot of fun. But what's not fun is overspending on those gifts. You can find the lowest price super easily, though, with Honey. Honey is a free browser extension that automatically finds the best promo codes whenever you shop online. So that means you always get the best deals without even trying on over 20,000 sites. I've told you guys about the gigantic blanket I bought myself where I had a coupon code and it turns out that Honey had a much better one for me and I couldn't have been more delighted. And this has happened to me numerous times. So I am looking forward to saving even more money this Christmas season. If you're buying gifts this holiday season, then you need Honey. If you're not, you probably know someone who is, so do them a solid and tell them about Honey. Honey can help make sure that you're getting the best price for whatever you're buying. It's free to use and installs in just two clicks. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com woods. That's joinhoney.com woods. Okay, can you describe, uh, I know you say that it's, you know, the second chance program. You have a lot of things going on. But can you describe for me what it would be like, what, what my day would look like if I went in for the, let's say, the 28-day the program at, at Blueprints? What, what's my life like on a daily basis? What is, what's happening to me? What am I doing? 
So when you get picked up by the second chance program, you don't necessarily end up at Blueprints. The reality is it's a referral and assessment uh, service that we offer to the community for free. So in reality, the people who get picked up on second chance most likely aren't going to end up at Blueprints. But I can give you an idea of what a, a traditional day in a rehab is like. Yeah, I would like to know that, actually. Yes. Yeah. And they're all very, very different because there's so many different nuances and you know programs available to people. But I'd say traditionally, uh, somebody would wake up in the morning, eat some breakfast, go, go attend the first group of the day. And usually in the residential level of care, you're going to be receiving six hours of acute therapy to work on retraining the brain like we talked about. Uh, so for the next six hours, you essentially are in therapy, either individual or group, and then you eat some lunch in between there. And then you'll go home now at Blueprints. Uh, when you go back, you know, we have a real integrated kind of program we like to get people used to living on their own. So we have apartment style living where people can still have that 24 seven monitoring and therapeutic support with the six hours of therapy a day. But when they get out of therapy, they'll go back to their apartments. They'll have the opportunity to go to the gym, have an opportunity to do their laundry, fill out job applications for when they leave, really get ready to begin living life. And that's kind of, my favorite part about the Blueprints program. But again, every place is very, very different. I bet, well, first of all, I don't want to assume anything, sure. but I have a feeling, and I don't know if you want to even say this publicly about your political views, but I think you might be a libertarian. I don't know if you want to say that or not, if that compromises you in some way. I, uh, I don't know that it compromises me horrendously. Um, strangely enough, I've been registered as all three political parties. Democrat, Republican, and Libertarian. Uh, I well, personally we, prefer to lean with people instead of party uh, because I yeah, know sure. some fantastic Republicans, some unbelievable Democrats, and I know some of the best people in the universe are Libertarians. So uh, I definitely have Libertarian leanings. There's no Would you say that your opinions on drugs uh, tend to resonate uh, or the views of the Libertarians resonate with you on the drug issue? Very much so, but I can tell you that none of these police officers are libertarian, and right. they agree a hundred percent. But I, I do want to press this a bit, though, because yeah. it it seems counterintuitive to most people. They would think here's a former heroin addict now recovered, mm -hmm. and you would think he, above all, would say we need to clamp down even harder on drugs so that I might not have fallen to them in the first place. Why is that the wrong way to think? Well, the logic of that situation is that drugs were, in fact, illegal when I was using them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, legality, the legality of substances has very little to do with people's ability to obtain them, very little to do with people's desire to use them. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the government has done essentially nothing effective in the entire war on drugs. So that's where the logic comes from, uh, just because I'm a felon, I'm not allowed to have a gun. If I needed to go find a gun, I bet you I could. I'm not going to because I'm a felon and I'm a law-abiding citizen now. But in reality, uh, murder is illegal, but I could go stab the person in the office next to me. Laws are really for good people to follow, and criminals will literally always find a way to break the law if they want to. If that sums that up for you. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Now, I my understanding is that the way people have come to understand addiction has changed over the years. Yes. And that people just used to look at the physical substance, the heroin or the whatever it is. And that instead there's more of an emphasis now on 
what kind of hole in the person, what kind of trauma, what kind of uh, depression or whatever it is might have led the person down this road in the first place, you have to attack that because if you're just going to physically withhold physical things, you're not really getting to the heart of what's putting them in this dark place in the first place. So at the same time, though, it seems like there must be some drugs where just the the physiology of it is such that it's harder to get people off them than other drugs. I mean, can you make sense of all this? Yeah, I mean, so uh, benzodiazepines and alcohol, those are the two drugs known to science right now that can actually kill you during a detox. So obviously those things need to be treated in the detox level of care first, make sure that a person doesn't die. Realistically, all the drugs kind of have their own different physiological ways to affect people. But the reality of most treatment components and situations is that there's an underlying cause somewhere and really the brain just needs to be retrained. So on an individualized level with quality counselors, that can be figured out. Uh, Substance use disorder is an actual disorder, which means that it's something that can be treated, which I am super thankful for because otherwise I would have been dead 13 years ago. What do you think of the claim that even if we concede that marijuana is not super harmful to you, at the same time, it's a gateway drug to harder drugs. And so we need to start with kind of a no tolerance policy right at the very beginning, even if it may seem disproportionate to the immediate harm because it can lead to worse harms. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that marijuana is a gateway drug. I think that might've been a, a Nancy Reagan thing from the eighties that just got created. Uh, I started personally with alcohol because it was the most readily available I would probably venture to say, and it might be bold of me, but alcohol is probably more of a gateway drug than marijuana. But, you know, politically, my opinion is still the same, that making things illegal just doesn't do anything. On the other hand, I mean, again, I want to play devil's advocate here. If, If something's illegal, there are people who on the margin will be less likely to pursue it because they don't want to get in trouble. And who, if they aren't going to get in trouble, well, they might be curious and they might try it out. So you will have more people trying it than would otherwise have tried and therefore a greater risk of, you know, more people becoming addicted. I think that's the way people, some people look at this and, and you know, what, what's wrong about that? I can, I can fully respect that opinion uh, a thousand percent. Realistically, I'm pretty sure if we called my mom right now, my wonderful, awesome mom, uh, and marijuana became illegal in Pennsylvania tomorrow, I'm pretty sure she's not going to start smoking weed. But again, everybody's so different. I can't claim to have the answer for every single thing and every single person. So, uh, you know, I'm just here to help, Tom. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm always, I deal with all different kinds of people and I spend so much time, so much time in circles where it's just obvious to us what you're saying about yeah. just criminalizing things. It's not going to, because so, as you say, people can just do the opposite <laughs> if they want to. Yeah. It's it, That's the thing that we need to to help people with. And I, I'm around them so often that things that seem so obvious to us, then when I'm around what I sometimes call normies, mm-hmm. and I say something like this, they have this horrified look, you know, like I advocated burning down a school or something when I say this to them. Yeah. So when I talk to somebody like you, I, I do want to think through, you know, what the right arguments are. Now with you, you really have 
the best arguments of all because you can talk about real human beings and real people's lives that were changed uh, not by locking them in a cage and the abuse that can take place there. Yeah. I mean, I've the way I've sometimes put it to right-wingers who are just horrified at the idea of, of uh, legalizing drugs, I say, do you really think that and I don't want to quite use the words that I would use with them on the air here, but let's just say, imagine the kind of thing that we know goes on in a lot of prisons. Do you think that is the most humane way to deal with somebody who's struggling with addiction? That, that's the most humane solution you can come up with? Honestly, you've thought of everything? And you know what? Sometimes that does make them stop and think, well, there has to be a more humane solution than that. Precisely. And that's what you're doing. A million percent. I mean, when I was 18 and I went to jail for the first time, I was mortified because I only knew what the media and, and you know, TV and movies have shown me about jail. Now, thankfully, none of that stuff happened to me. But being locked in a cage, you know, 23 hours a day for six months, eight months at a time is not very humane. I still have probably undiagnosed slight PTSD where I'll, you know, wake up at night from a nightmare of being back in jail. Uh, the reality of the situation, that's 13 years ago, you know, and uh, it's not very humane. Somebody who's struggling with substance use disorder or addiction in general needs to be treated like a person with a health issue, not a person with an ill, you know, constitution, essentially. Somebody with weak willpower or any of those things, because I have some pretty strong willpower. I can do a whole lot of things, but when it comes to drugs of abuse, I am completely different than a lot of other people, and I'm unable to handle it, hence the substance use disorder. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be incarcerated for any length of time, and then that day comes when I can step out into the sunlight. It's. Uh, Do you remember that day? I remember all three of them, and they're all terrifying because nothing changes while you're in jail. When you're in jail... Nothing happens mentally other than, you know, depression, sadness. Oh, that's a good point. You don't look Misery. at it as, well, here's my fresh start. Well, I feel I felt real good because I was no longer in a cage. I was wearing silly yeah. six-month-old clothing that had sat in storage. Uh, but I almost immediately relapsed the first two times because there, there was nothing provided for me while I was in jail. And whatever treatment they had was pretty bootleg. Forgive my, uh, you know, slang. But... Yeah, it's, it was more terrifying than anything because I knew I was going to fail. I was pretty much set up for it and destined. And while I was excited to get out and smoke a cigarette uh, and drink a Pepsi after I'd been drinking saltpeter water for six months, it was more terrifying than it was uh, jubilant. Is there something that people can do that can, people who are listening right now, that can help what you do? or I mean, at the very least, spread the word about it. Is there a link you'd like them to visit? Anything like that? Yeah, I mean, our, our website is pretty much unfinished at this point. It's very rudimentary, but you can follow along on Facebook, Second Chance PA. You can follow secondchancepa.com. Uh, we're in the process of getting 501c3 status, so I no longer have to pay for it all out of my pocket. Uh, but the government, of course, is taking their sweet time allowing us to do such things. Um, so eventually we'll be able to accept donations for people who want to help uh, provide certified recovery specialists to go out on scene with law enforcement. We're really hoping to take this statewide over the next five to 10 years. It's a very slow moving process, but uh, really just continuing the conversation that addiction is not a crime and people who are addicted to substances and have substance use disorder are people too. And we really need to help them. Look, I'll just come right out and say it. I am super thrilled about what you do. And I, I'm really impressed by people who, 
you know, could just sit around and gripe about things, but who actually have gone out and done something that has had palpable effects on the lives of actual people. I mean, that's what you're doing. And that's a great example to a lot of us out here. So I'm really grateful. I hope people will check it out. I'll link to those two places that you just mentioned on our show notes page. And today that's tomwoods.com slash 1532. tomwoods.com slash 1532 is where I'll have all that stuff up. Well, uh, Chris, thanks so much for your time and continued good luck. I hope this continues to spread and you have more and more success stories. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Tom. It was great. All right, folks, before we wrap up for today, something you might get a kick out of, particularly if you are a parent, I have a listener who created a website that is kind of like Babylon Bee and The Onion, where it has parody-style articles, satirical articles, but they're articles that center around parenting. And it's very funny and cute, and you can identify with all this stuff, and I think you would enjoy sharing some of it with your friends. And he's also interested in soliciting content from folks, and if you're a parent, you almost certainly have something you could contribute to the site. And the site is ahrealparenting.com. That's A-H-H, realparenting.com. I'm going to link to it at tomwoods.com slash 1532. And this, of course, is a site whose author, and by the way, the author, the creator of the site, naturally, as a Tom Woods Show listener, is a libertarian. So you will see, even though the site centers around parenting, you will see some libertarian themes here and there. It won't be too difficult to spot them but it's primarily focused on parenting. This is somebody who, of course, got his web hosting where? Through Tom Woods' link. So that means he got a really good deal on his web hosting, and he gets a nice little bit of publicity from me to help get visitors over to his site, as well as membership in my private bloggers group and some free tutorials, a whole bunch of really, really great goodies. And if you would like those, then before you start your site, make sure you check out tomwoods.com publicity and find out how to get all these goodies. All right, tomorrow, Brad Bruiser's coming. I'm going to talk some American history. See you then. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of the Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.